Our script reading today is in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is God's word. School-age kids, uh, you can be dismissed. Uh, good morning. Uh, in case you don't know, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church. And really excited to be with you guys this morning and to open God's Word and let God's Word uh, do its work in our hearts today. And we're in the middle of our Advent series. And uh, we've been talking, in a sense, about uh, these great Christian Christmas hymns of our faith and um, how they point us towards uh, Jesus and God's word and what they mean to us today. And Luke spent two weeks talking through this idea of joy of the world and what that kind of unpacks for us in God's word. And I was thinking about this for me, and uh, the song I kept coming back to was Go Tell on the Mountain, which uh, is this, um, and here's why. Uh, Go Tell on the Mountain, you know, most Christmas songs go one of two ways. One is just this ultra silly, you know, Santa Claus kind of fluff. And the other side is kind of like this real like kind of like somber, kind of very reflective type tone. And they both, they're both, you know, fine in their own right, but they kind of feel removed from this kind of idea of what Christmas is, the life-changing message of Jesus coming and putting on flesh. But Go Tell on the Mountain is this, it's this hope-filled song, isn't it? It's full of joy. It's, it's a big song. It, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. What it does for me, it takes me back to the point of Christmas, which is the life-changing message of Jesus. That is why we celebrate Christmas. And it is so, so easy to move away from that. And here's the thing. Because um, at Christmas, we're, we're kind of torn, aren't we? And I do this every year, and we talk about the offering and kind of getting our hearts and minds right towards the things, but it, it happens. There's, there's ads, there's your kids want things, your family wants things, you might want things. I mean, not me, of course, I'm just so unselfish, but other people want things, and you get caught up in like this idea of the, and we have so many nostalgic things at Christmas, right? The cartoons, the songs, the movies, the lights, all the things that are, that are good, and they are right, and they are fun. But they make Christmas, at its core, a really small message. It's a kind of a nostalgic message. But Christmas, and the story of Jesus, is much more than that. And the story, the, the real story of Jesus coming and putting on flesh takes us away from ourselves and moves us outward to go tell it on the mountains. Because here's what I know. In every single person, that is made in the image of God, so every person, there is this true desire for something more. 
that we are not simply made for ourselves, but we are made to go outward because our God is a Trinitarian God. Our God is three in one, Father, Son, the Spirit, that is constantly going to the other. And out of his love and his joy, he created us. Our God is always moving outwards. We are made for more than just ourselves and our nostalgia and our lives and our happiness. So as a pastor, here's how I also know this. Uh, You get this uh, blessing many times to be with people at their deathbed, to come in at their very last moments, hours, or days, to be with them, to pray with them, to talk with them. And it's always an extremely humbling place to be. And two times in the past two or three years, I have sat with men and women who have days to live. And men and women who honestly lived their lives for themselves, uh, really apart from faith in Christ, to live lives for themselves. And I, I just, this is so vivid. I can remember literally holding their hand. And thankfully, they had put their faith in Christ in those last days. Praise God. But both of them said these words to me. I regret not living my life the way that I should. Because born in every person made in the image of God is this desire to move out, to do more than just live life for ourselves. And and here's the truth. Christmas, the story of Jesus, the story of God becoming a baby, makes no sense at all, does it? It's a life-changing, moving us out to the fringes kind of message. It's not a nostalgic message. So today, I want to talk to you what it's looked like for us to change our little worlds. Not the world. We're not going to change the world. But God has given you a little slice of influence, hasn't he? A little slice. It's family. It's some coworkers. It's some friends. It's a street in your neighborhood. God has given each of us a slice and has said, go. And the Christmas message should not lead us to go further in, but it should lead us to go further out. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, as we open your word right now, Father, let your word, let the life-changing truth of what you revealed through Jesus and your scripture, Lord, change us today, Father. Give us the heart, give us a heart of a seeker today, a heart of humility, Father. Let us be humble enough to hear from you and respond with worship and obedience. We love you. Amen. Matthew 5, it's a great picture of this, of what it looks like for us to actually begin to change our worlds. The great Sermon on the Mount, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. Talking to his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. Church today, the church that was born from Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. That is a great honor, but also it's a great responsibility that we are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we got four points today. 
And it's four ways that we, we can begin to change our little worlds. First, live a compelling life. Live a compelling life. Second, give access to your life. Third, stop and listen to people. Fourth, share the hero of your story. Live a compelling life. Listen, everything as far as us going on and changing our little worlds, as far as us being light, starts right here. With us living a compelling life, we should look like we've experienced some light. We should be a little tan, basically, as Christians. Just a little tan, a little tan. The light should have touched us at some points. But here's the thing. When I hear about being a compelling, living a compelling life, I go right to the big. Say, okay, I've got to do this big thing for God and then show it off. I've got to do this big thing for God and then show it off. I've got to do all these great things that I don't know if I can or want to do. But I will tell you, in a world in 2019 where every single thing is loud, right? It's loud, it's in your face, it's inconsistent, and it's anxious. That is the darkness of our world, isn't it? Full of anxious people that are just dying to be seen on social media that are just so up and down day to day. In that kind of world, a compelling life looks like this. It's really small, it's really hope-filled, and it's faithful to the small things of God. Listen, we're, we're not called to be some big version of somebody else. We're called to be this small picture of faithfulness. Let's go to Luke 2. Ashley just read this about Simeon. He is um, a great picture to us today of this. I'm going to read it again. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Two things from Simeon that I want to see today, see today about us being a compelling life, a compelling person. First, Simeon was devout. Simeon was devout and righteous. Simeon pursued God in his every day. He was devoted to the things of God, to pursuing the things of God, to walking with God. It says the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him. He waited years to see Jesus, years to see Jesus. But he walked with God. Even through not seeing Jesus, he was faithful every day to walk with God. He was devout and he was righteous. There was this day in and day out rhythm to his life. And here's the thing. Nobody saw this. Does that make sense? No one saw the devoutness or the, the devotion of Simeon in his life. We see here he was led in verse 26. Verse 27, he came into the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit led him into the temple to finally see Jesus. So I said, here's what I'm trying to say. Years and years of being devoted to God and the Spirit resting upon him, faithful day in, day out, nobody noticing. But one day, that Spirit led him to Jesus. Listen, at the core of a compelling life is someone who is devoted to God in the everyday 
of life. We can't go tell it on the mountain if we're not first seeking God in the closet. Does that make sense? We have to do the things that are unseen, the devoted things every single day. We seek and pursue God that leads to this compelling life. But Simeon wasn't devoted with no hope or no purpose. He had great hope in mind. It was his hope and purpose that kept him devoted. Look at verse 25 again. He was righteous and devout, waiting, waiting, anticipating. I did chapel here at PCA a few days ago, and I was talking to the kids. Years ago, when I was a kid, I, got, uh, I was just dying for this G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. Uh, it was super awesome. And I remember not sleeping at night. I was so, I was waiting for that thing to come. I imagine Simeon just waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, the hope of the world, Jesus Christ to finally come. That was his great hope. That kept him going every single day. He was devoted to pursuing and finding God with the hope of meeting the Messiah. So he was devoted, but he also had this great, great hope. It was this great promise and hope that had him come back to God over and waiting every single day. It's this hope that we see in Isaiah in, verse, in chapter 25. It says here, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich Food full of morrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people till he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. One of the greatest parts of daily devoting yourself to God is coming back to God over and over to have your hope renewed. Because if you're like me, if you're human, every day your hope is just drawn from you, isn't it? We are taking from being up here to right here every single day. I heard a great thing in a sermon recently that we go to God's word every single day, but we should not leave the text until our hearts are on fire, until our hope is renewed. We're devoted to God to renew our hope because the truth here in Isaiah, that's our hope for the second advent, that God is coming again, will make all things new. That is our hope, but our hope every day is sapped from us. And listen, remember, the darkness in our world is this cynical, anxious life. And if we are not being devoted to the small things and having our hope renewed, we cannot live a compelling, light-filled life. We live very pale is what happens in that scenario. But here is the truth and the tension today. As I was praying for us this week, many of us today we hear these things and we don't have compelling lives because we don't really have a compelling hope and compelling rhythms. We hear these things and they're so foreign to us because they seem like just one more thing to do. 
Okay, well, I'm already up at 5.30 to get ready for this. I get up at 5 and do this right here. And the things of light, listen, we're so pale that any sun or light at all, we're like, oh, gosh, that's too much. It's true. We're so used to the darkness. The beauty of Christmas is that we sing songs that remind us of the light. So here's my encouragement today. So, so, so it seems like it's one more thing to do, right? To be devoted to God, to live this hope-filled life, do this every single day. It feels like it's just, oh my goodness. And then we see these other Christians, the really tan ones, right? That are just walk, getting up at four in the morning. They have like worship for two hours. They bathe their kids with oil, all these kinds of things, right? And it's like, I can never be that person. That's a compelling life. Mine's just a life. I'm just getting through life. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, going to the word of God, having our hope renewed and our hearts set on fire, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. And here's the key. From one degree of glory to another. Moving to a compelling life is about being committed to being changed one degree at a time. Not to look at your brother or sister, and they're a thousand degrees ahead of you, correct? It is for you today to seek out the voice and the will of God for the one degree of transformation that is needed for you today to begin living a compelling life. It is seeing what that step is, that step of faith for you today to take to move further into more degrees into a compelling life. But if we just talk about living a compelling life, being devoted to God and the hope of God, but never taking that hope and moving outward, then we're just monks, right? And we're not going to change our little worlds. But the hope and the love of God, it literally pushes us out into the fringes of our little worlds, which brings us to our second point, to give access to your life. We can't just have the light. We must give access to the light. Back to Matthew 5. Verse 15 says this. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are light, living a compelling life with great hope. But we must put the lamp on the stand. You must give access to your life. This is being hospitable. This is practicing biblical hospitality. I'll give you an example, a bad example, but honest one. So I am by nature just an introvert. And so I, I, normally on Sundays, I, I'll do this Sunday thing, and I love you guys, and I go, and I'm just like done. Just done. I like leave me alone. Tracy knows the kids leave daddy alone for a little bit. Uh, last Sunday, um, I had a great sermon. I was so encouraged. Luke's sermon of blessing and using words of blessing just uh, challenged and encouraged me. Went over to our MC and had lunch with them and was just really encouraged. I, I left just fulfilled. And we get home, and the neighbor kids are playing outside in the front yard. 
and Hayes and Connor, of course, hey, we won't play in the front yard. And here's the deal. I, I'm the parent. Maybe it's wrong. I'm a little too, they're not going to play by themselves in the front yard. I've I got to be out there if they're playing in the front yard. But I don't want to do that at all. I want to go inside. I want to watch football and be left alone. But they bug me, and they bug me, and they bug me. And I just had the greatest hope in the world for three hours preached to me, correct? I want to hide the light for at least two hours, right? But they drag me outside, playing neighbor's kids, and my neighbor says, hey, come here, come here. Okay, here we go. And um, walk over there, and his life is crumbling. And he just wanted some encouragement and some prayer. And um, I didn't want to give it to him in that moment, correct? Being very honest. But in that moment, I was taught by God that I could be so encouraged at a Sunday gathering and literally be living with this light and then go hide it in my house when my neighbor across the street is living in darkness and just needs some light for 30 minutes. And God humbled me that day. That is our responsibility with joy to go and put our lamp on a stand so the dark world can see that and be encouraged by that and give glory to our Father in heaven. Hebrews 13, 2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. We have to get close to people so they can see the light. We have to get close to them. You know, the greatest picture of hospitality is, is Christmas. It's God coming and putting on flesh, isn't it? It's the greatest picture of the love of stranger, that God, with all the glories of heaven, chose to come and humble himself as a baby and then suffer for our sins. It's the greatest picture of coming and getting close to the stranger, to the other, isn't it? It's the greatest picture of this that we can see. God did not stay far away, but he came near. Rosaria Butterfield wrote a great book that you've, some of you have probably read that says, A Gospel Comes to the House Key. This quote right here is very good. It says, Radically ordinary hospitality is this. It's using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors. And neighbors, family of God. It brings glory to God, serves other, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. So Rosaria, her story is um, really interesting. Uh, she, uh, by her own definition, was a self-described radical feminist lesbian that hated God. That was who she was. She hated God and the, and the people of God more than anything in the world. And she wrote an article basically attacking Christianity in 1997. And this pastor named Ken Smith a Presbyterian minister, he read the article and then wrote her a letter. And the letters asked her a few questions and then invited her over for dinner. And she thought, oh God, this is going to be crazy. Well, I'm going to go there just to do, do some research and to see how crazy they are. And uh, she comes to their house and meets him, meets his wife, Floyd, uh, and they start meeting, having dinner, hanging out. And for the first time, she saw the light inside of a Christian, right? She said that she saw Ken in front of her repenting of sins. She saw Ken not attacking her for her sin, but just asking her questions 
and loving her and being present. She saw Ken and Floyd, who were just her friends, who just loved her. And so she started kind of just kept coming over for dinner, just kept coming. And suddenly she found herself reading the Bible. And then her friends, far away from God, said, you're changing. Something is happening in you. And she starts freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Before she knows it, she has put her faith in Jesus through ordinary hospitality, giving access to the light. Listen, they loved the stranger. They loved the other. I read a thing this week that said, if Jesus ran for president, his slogan would be, love your enemy. And he would never get elected. (laughs) But here's the truth. Uh, Especially in 2019, Christians should be the ones crossing over, right? Towards their enemy, towards to love the other. Because we were the other, weren't we? You You never had your stuff together. But God came and loved us in spite of ourselves. So we go and we love the stranger. My question to you today, who is the stranger, the neighbor, the other in your life that you need to give access to? Who is that person? Sometimes it's our family. Sometimes our parents are the biggest strangers in our lives that we keep right here at all times. It could be your family. It could be your neighbor. It could be a coworker who you spend most of your time with. Who is the other in your life? How can your life, because here's the truth, when we're trying to be hospitable, this is so hard for me, that means our lives require more access. How can your life, how can our lives be more accessible? What margin in our life, what things do we have to be okay with to make our lives more accessible? So so say we live this small, devote, hope-filled, compelling life. And then we begin to give access to our lives. Well, what do we do when we give these people access? First encouragement, stop and listen to people. If they finally come and they want to be around you, I would encourage you to do this. Just stop. Just stop, be present, and listen to people. There is something that is so compelling. It's so countercultural about stopping and being fully present with people. Jesus was never hurried. Jesus was always fully present. Your to-do list is not as big as God's. He was fully present in some miraculous way. Uh, Butterfield says this, we live in a world that highly values functionality. But there is such a thing as being too functional. When we are too functional, we forget that the Christian life is a calling, not a performance. Hospitality is necessary whether you have cat hair on the couch or not. People will die of chronic loneliness sooner than they will with cat hair in the soup. Know that someone has spared another spiral binge of pornography because he is instead playing Connect Four with you or walking the dogs or jumping on the trampoline. Know that these small things that you may take for granted have been the Lord's appointed way of escape for a brother or sister. Know that someone is spared the fear and darkness of depression because she is needed at your house, always on the Lord's day. The day she is never alone, but instead safely in community where her place at the table is needed and necessary and relied upon. We are called to be present to people. 
our undistracted presence is one of the greatest gifts, gifts we can give to people. So a few weeks ago, me and my wife went and saw the movie, the Mr. Rogers movie uh, with, uh, with Tom Hanks, famous actor. And um, we go and see this movie and just newsflash, I am a crier in movies. I know you're all shocked to hear that. Uh, we go in this movie and I'm just like, from like, I'm just weeping the whole movie. And, and here's why. As you're watching this story of uh, Mr. Rogers, the thing that was so compelling to me about him is that he was just never rushed with people. His entire tone was like this. It was this beautiful picture of Christ-like presence to me. That there was these people in his life that needed so many things, he was always just, he just listened and was present with people. Here's a tip I want to give us on how we can love someone. here's Here's the big tip. First thing, put down your phone. Luke killed us with that last week. Why won't go any further than that? Guys, can we just put down our phones for a minute? Jason Wood, can you put down your phone for a minute? Put down our phones. And if you're with someone, try to sit down. Or if you're not going to sit down, at least just stand there like this, but not like this. Be present. And then simply do this. Ask them, how are you doing? And then just shut up. And just be present. I can tell you, people are dying to be heard. Loneliness, especially this time of year, is chronic. And we have the greatest hope in the world. And this hope, I'm telling you, is telling us to slow down and be present with lost and hurting people. We have the hope and the light of the world. Let's stop and be present and just listen to people. Listen to their hurts. Listen to their worries. And if you listen really well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear the hero of their story. You're going to hear the God that they trust in. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Part of our roles as missionaries, as hope bringers in this world, as world changers, is that we are here to understand people to be here and to listen, to see what is going on in their hearts. Jesus was constantly using questions to drop people's hearts. God, from the very beginning, Adam, where are you? Why do you have this on you? God knew where they were. He was drawing them in. Jesus with the woman at the well asked her question after question. He knew what was going on. He was drawing out her heart, drawing her in. People are dying to be heard. Here's how we know this. Counselors are through the roof right now, right? You can try to see a counselor, and right that's hard to see a counselor. And I am for counseling. I go to counseling. Yes and amen. But many times, us being Christians can help the counselors, correct? Just asking each other, how are you doing? And just being quiet and being a listening friend. Here's how we listen. First way I encourage you, listen up. If you're listening, if, 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 if you talk to me today, and you want to encourage me, here's how you do it. So I'm talking, listen up, which means ask God to help you listen. Ask God, the the great counselor, to help you listen and counsel. Listen up. I will tell you, in in a big picture sense, this is why we're devoted to God every single day. Every day we listen up through God's word, correct? And through prayer. But as we're talking, listen up. Next, listen 
to their story. People will tell you what they are functionally trusting in their life. You ask them how they're doing, they will tell you what they are functionally trusting as their Savior. A lot of times it's a family, it's a sickness, it's a job, it's money, it's something that's their functional Savior. Listen to them. But hear this. We can give access to our life. We can stop and be present and listen. But here's the truth. If we do not share the hope of the world, if we do not do that, it's not going to happen. This does not happen by osmosis, by us just being really holy around people where they catch it like a cold. Oh, I'm holy now. No. That's what it says here in 1 Peter. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Basically, we need to share the hero of the story. We live a compelling life. We give access to our life. We stop and we listen to people. But to truly see our worlds change, we have to share the hero of the story. We have to go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ came, correct? Here's the deal. If Jesus is the hero of your story, it's going to come out. If Jesus Christ is truly the hero of of your every day, it will come out in your conversation. It's impossible for it not to. Here's why I know it's true. Because I have Facebook. And I have seen everybody's functional heroes in this world, right? Whether it's a diet, a politician, something else, I have no idea. Our functional things that we put our hope in come out in what we declare. It happens. Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not ever heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So it's very important, kind of the how and what we share. Because if we're not careful, we will share a different hero of the story. It is so helpful to know the gospel here. And just very shorthand, the gospel narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The gospel narrative, the gospel story in which Jesus Christ is the hero. We must learn to share our story in light of the truest story. You know, in this, in this world, in our context, when we hear people share their faith story, what you hear sometimes is that their church is their functional savior. That I was far away from God, and then I found this church. I started doing this. At that moment, maybe they don't mean this, but Jesus Christ is not the hero of that story. Whatever church is the hero of that story. We must make sure that Jesus Christ is the hero of our story. Who is the hero of your story? Like really, functionally, who is the hero of your, if you were to tell me your story right now? Because in all of our stories, there's, there's this kind of creation element of what we first put our hope and trust and faith in. Like for me, the creation part of my story is I grew up, I was by nature a rule follower and a people pleaser, and I wanted my dad to really think I had my stuff together. That was my creation story. Now listen, we'll have a fall as well, right? When everything comes crashing down. Uh, for me, that fall, parents got divorced, no longer had that security of this kind of perfect family. 
And then the fall really came years later. Gave my life to ministry. I was so holy and great, all these kind of things. And for me, I wanted everybody to like me and see me as smart and successful. Guess what? That failed as well. I failed. I was at the end of myself, the fall of my life. I was complete and utter failure. But my story and the true story does not end there. Redemption came. Jesus Christ came. Amen? That is why we're here for Christmas, because Jesus came and redeemed everything as far as the curse is found. He redeemed it all. And in my life, in spite of a broken home, in spite of my failures in ministry, Jesus Christ loved me. And it was my failures that led me to true redemption. That the hero of my story was not a great family or great success or a great church. The hero of my story had to become Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. I wasn't just redeemed. God is actively restoring messed up, crazy Jason Wood. And that's a miracle. Just like for you, it's a miracle. And God is actively restoring his world today. And guess what? He is sending us out today, redeemed people as ambassadors to do his restoration work. But many of us are just like me, going home and hiding the light, correct? But we have a powerful message to share. The message of the gospel of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So the question I have for us today. Who in your life is that person? If our God is a sending out God. And he's redeemed you today. If he is truly the hero of your story, who is God sending you to? Because here's the truth. Being a world changer in your little world, it's very simple, but it is hard. Here's how it's simple. Walk with God. Walk with God. Be devoted to God in everything. Be devoted to be transformed from one degree. Be devoted to that with that great hope we've been given. Give access to your life. Open your home. Share a meal. Go to the front yard. Give access to your life. Second, when you give access, just stop. Just stop. Look folks in the eye and just listen to them and their story. And finally, share the hero of your story. Share, share how Jesus has changed you. Don't share deep theology. Don't share this book of the Bible. Share how Jesus Christ has changed you and your life. Church, you can do this. Here's why I know. You have the Holy Spirit of God, which birthed the church, that is sending you out today for that one person, for those two people that are on your hearts and minds right now. God is sending us out today. So the question I want to end with is, what is God saying to you? This is on your connection, God. Um, and here's why it's on there. Because our God is an active God. His word is living and active. And I believe right now the Holy Spirit is impressing upon us to move. What is God saying to you at this Christmas season when people are so lonely and so withdrawn and so isolated? How can you begin to invite them in? What is God saying to you? Let me ask you this. Have you truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Can you truly say the hero of your story is Jesus Christ and that you're following him? If not, come talk to us today. 
We have a prayer team in the back to pray with you on those things. If you haven't actually put your faith in Jesus, maybe today you need to recommit your devotion to Christ to move from one degree of glory to another. Maybe for you it's to give access to your life, to, to let your life and your home be accessible to others, to put your lamp on the stand. Maybe you're terrible at just stopping and listening. Putting that phone down and being present with other people is impossible for you. Or maybe when it comes around, you just don't want to share the story. You don't want to share that. You just, you're, what are they going to say if you share the good news? What is God saying to you today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, you're good to us. I ask you to forgive us for just our apathy. Forgive me for my apathy, for making things about me and my comfort and my pleasure. And forgetting that in your presence there is fullness of joy. So Lord, let us be devoted to the right things today, Father. Father, speak to us today. And give us the conviction to respond with worship and obedience, Lord. Lord, do a work in hearts today. You're so good to us, Father. We love you, and we probably Jesus' name. Amen. We have our service here for communion now. What a great picture of this, right? As we take communion, we're reminded of our great hope in Christ, that we have no hope apart from him and what he's done for us. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. This is for not just covenant church, but for the church of Jesus Christ. If, you're, if you put your faith in Christ, we invite you to come today. But I will say this, before you come, I would encourage and challenge you to do work with God, to seek what God is leading you to do today. And as you come, come with a repentant and humble heart. Come when you're ready. Thank you.